0: There was no real clear role modeling or blueprints around queer relationships and then being successful. And I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a mother. So we just didn't see anything outside the possibilities in that. So there is a part of me that it really mourns not exploring that in my youth. Welcome
1: to the Not Just a Mom show where we have open and honest conversations about the vulnerabilities and the victories within entrepreneurship and new motherhood. If we haven't met yet, I'm Nicole Pazvir and I'm going to be your host. Here on the show, we don't subscribe to perfection. In fact, being present is the new perfect and showing up messy is the new norm. My hope is that this podcast serves as a safe space for me and inspiration for you to stop living life watered down together we will uncover versions of our most potent selves where we show up unapologetically intentionally and without filter we are worthy just as we are as all that we are not just the label we put on ourselves we are more than just a mom and i'm so glad you're here Welcome back to another week on the podcast. I can't believe this is already episode 12, but here we are. And this week is super cool because I'm joined by, I think, my farthest guest yet, and that is Dana Struthers. Dana is joining us all the way from New Zealand, and in this episode, Dana shares with us her own matrescence journey. And as we know, motherhood and the initiation into it is unique for all of us, and Dana's story is no exception. She's going to share with us... The vast amount of identity shifts that she was undergoing when she became a mom, including a massive change in career, actually breaking up her marriage and having her own sexual realization and coming out as queer in the middle of a pandemic, which was shortly after the birth of. Uh, Her second son. And Dana's story is beautiful and a humbling reminder of the importance of standing in your own truth and being aware of your own biases. We also hear Dana's vastly different birth experiences the first being a home birth, and the second actually being a hospital induction. And she reflects on just the importance of not attaching to a certain birth outcome and being really mindful of not just your biases, but also the opinions of your ego and um, how that shows up in the birth space. And make sure you listen to this episode in its entirety because I asked Dana what it's like balancing the divine masculine and feminine energy within a woman loving woman relationship um, and just how that shows up within the partnership and the household. And I just want to thank Dana for volunteering to be on the show and for being so open and vulnerable and sharing her story with us. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did.
0: Great, so kia ora. my name is Dana. I am based in um, Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, we have indigenous um, culture here called the um, Māori, so there is a lot of part of my practice is incorporating those um, that language and that, that welcome and also signifying um, where we are, um, according to the land, so New Zealand and Auckland are very colonial um, words. Whereas um, the city I live in is Tamaki Makaurau, and the country we call Aotearoa, uh, and Aotearoa is um, the land of the long white cloud. So when they voyage from the Pacific Islands, they saw a lot of snow um, here, and they'd never seen that before. So
1: that's very cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, So I am a mama to two boys. I have an eight-year-old called Jet, and my youngest, Franco, is four. And I share 50-50 custody with them with their dad. So we split up um, very early on in my youngest's life. So he was about uh, eight months old when we um, called it quits. And that was a a nine-year marriage, a 13-year relationship um, that I just sort of came to a head too. at that time I was um, battling really severe postnatal depression which was undiagnosed so I had been hiding it in many different ways I think a lot of us have this idea of what postnatal depression looks like and I kind of just thought something was wrong with me because I loved my baby I was connected to my baby I was breastfeeding my baby Um, I was getting them to school and daycare and everything that they needed to do. But there were other parts of my life that I was really trying to control in not so healthy ways, um, restrictive eating and um just feeling really empty inside. And so <clears throat> so it was Mother's Day four years ago that I sort of got to the end of the night, got the kids to bed and I was just like, I'm done, like I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and called it quits then. Uh, and it was just this real, I was working I worked so hard with this um motherhood identity and wanting to prove myself in that motherhood and be seen in that motherhood. And that Mother's Day just really highlighted for me how separate we had become in our experience in transitioning to parents, and where I had had all the drastic shifts and changes, he did not.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so
0: when, after the birth of my first boy, um, I got made redundant from my role. I had a corporate life, um, if you can imagine that, and worked for a bank, and I did a lot of adult learning and development there, and uh, after that happened, I was like, I can't imagine going back to that corporate world, um, and I become quite a birth nerd as well. I had a home birth with my first, um, and really had a really beautiful euphoric experience through that Uh, and then with my second i had been induced at hospital with preeclampsia so two very different experiences but um became such a nerd in that Um, and so pairing the two passions um birth and adult learning uh it was only natural for me to then seek out how i could become an antenatal educator um, and in doing, in doing that, um, I wanted to start volunteering at our local parent centre. So we've got this um, organisation here where they do um, the antenatal classes. They're quite famous in that. And they hadn't been doing any of the training um, for antenatal educators for like five years. And so the best way to sort of get a foot in the door was to start volunteering there. Um, in the classes and I had asked um, my kid's dad if he could come home one night a week to um, parent his children so I could um, volunteer and do this and he said no and that really just broke me because it was like this one thing I wanted to do this light at the end of the tunnel Um, and um, then I was like I'm just I'm just going to do it anyway and we broke up very shortly after that no and that was a huge contributor for it um and so started volunteering there did that for a couple of years and then when the cohort and um, the first cohort going through after they'd redesigned it um i got i was able to get into that um and so i graduated in 2021 uh from that and that was a whole a wild experience as well going back and studying i'd never done um Um, more tertiary education past high school um, here so having to figure out how to be a student and mother and be a single mother um, and that was quite wild Um, but when after we'd broken up for um, we'd been broken up for a while and I started doing um, some other things to fill my cup and do some self-discovery I did a um, sisterhood like confidence thing online. Um and when like going through that and reading reading heaps of books, we read um do we read Eckhart Tolle, um A New Earth, as well as Byron Katie's Loving What Is, going through that and reading that and having some self-discovery in there. I um had this remembering of like be feeling like quite queer or bisexual at high school and when having having that experience at high school it was really minimized I think in like the early 2000s like biurasia was quite real um, and it was just seen as wanting attention or um, being greedy and it was kind of like you had to pick a side and there was no real clear role modeling or blueprints around queer relationships and then being successful and I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a mother so we just didn't see anything outside the possibilities in that so there is a part of me that it really mourns not exploring that in my youth and maybe I would have been able to have um different experiences but then you can't can't change these things anyway um but so we after after a year after our breakup I was ready to start dating again. And very quickly realized I was not interested in men, like, at all. Mm. Um, and because you've been with your husband for a while, haven't you? So you've been, mm-hmm. you we've have been together for, yeah,
1: very long time. So, like, I don't even know what dating would entail these days because we've technically been together since we were in grade nine. Um yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I can't even imagine. And then on top of all the other massive identity shifts, you're going through new motherhood, being a student again, now taking on this role of single mother, but now also venturing into the dating world.
0: It was, it was wild. And um, I also, this was also in 2020. Um, so We had just gone into, like, this massive lockdown. Um, So here in New Zealand, we had really, really strict lockdowns. Um, That lockdown was for two months. Um, And, yeah, you could just go to the doctors and to the supermarket, and that was it. Um, And the first um, few weeks of that lockdown – I was home with the kids for two weeks without sharing them with their dad so he had actually only just moved out the weekend before the lockdown went like he moved out on a Saturday and we went into level four lockdown on the Wednesday um so my poor boys like they like their whole world got rocked and shifted
1: used to seeing um, their dad all the time too yeah.
0: Two weeks of no contact, yeah. Because we just, we were, every, there was so much fear and it was like, well, if you've got it over in your bubble um, or if we've got it, we don't want to cross that. Um, so it was yeah. like a two-week quarantine. And then we started doing um, 50-50 um, during that. Uh, and I think I had gone on a couple of dates before the lockdown. I'd gone on one date with um, a guy and one date with a girl but and before that, I'd had like a one night stand. Um, I don't mind sharing that. I had a really a terrible one night stand, my first ever one night stand and my only ever one night stand, which was just uh, with a woman. The and first it was, and
1: the last. The
0: <laughs> first and the last. Um, and uh, it was yeah, I'm not never recommended for one. I'm not made for one night stands. I don't think. Um but yeah when like just chatting to guys on um online or on tinder and stuff i was just like this is disgusting like there is absolutely no respect and i think that's where this i think that's where sexuality can be quite fluid because i know quite a few women who have left marriages recently especially in the lockdown and have come out as queer um in in the dawn of that and it's. I, one thing is we're seeing a lot more of it um in the media and it's becoming, I guess, a little bit more socially acceptable. And I think another thing is too, we um after having children, there for me and my matricence journey, the connection I wanted with somebody in a romantic relationship was also um a lot deeper and emotionally connected and I and I'm not I don't want to dismiss men that you can't get that with them. But it wasn't, there wasn't a level that I was able to connect with men on that level that I wanted in a partner going forward. Um, so yeah, I just, I had my little hoe phases um, and yeah, met, went on heaps of dates with women. I had a little, a few little situations, especially like lockdown situations where it, everything get, kind of gets compounded because it's this whole you can't see each other but you're talking all the time and there's nothing else really going on and
1: it's almost get... like this forced like all or nothing like commitment
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah had had some run-ins with that but um i think after the big lockdown so i had been um living on the same property as my parents so we rented off of them, um, but we were we had separate spaces, but all on the same um, quarter acre section. And they found out about me dating women during this lockdown, and they were really not okay with it, which really shocked and surprised me. Um, and they, I think they would kind of say that it was because of the way I was behaving, and my mum was saying that I was. Be- It reminded her of when I was a teenager, which, like, if we think of matricence and adolescence and all the shifts and everything that happens and changes, like, of course. Um, But as a um, thirty-one-year-old woman, I did not like hearing that at all. That felt um, really dismissive of my experience, and also um, a reflection into, I guess, that biarasia that I was battling with from um my teenage years as well. So yeah, thing there was a bit of friction, there was a bit of tension, a lot of that going on. Um, and I ended up moving out um and moving closer to the side of Auckland um that their dad was at, which was like being a teenager all over again. I had this cute little two-bedroom flat um that was all mine and I just loved it. Um and re-established, sat in there, really figured out who I was, what I wanted, finished my studies, did the mama thing. Um and then yeah, had another situation that broke up. Um and then started dating my now partner. Um from that. And um so that all that was all very in very quick succession I did. I I like to joke to her that I was having another hoe phase, and then she came along and tipped it upside down. Um, <clears throat> but it's um it's been, yeah, it's been a really interesting ride, and I think still forever shifting and changing what's happening in those processes because during that time I was, yeah finishing uni, um finishing my diploma, figuring out work, and um parenting and that balance. Um, and then I did the um or oh, we went into another big lockdown in 2021 um so we we got together so it was only two years ago we got together became official and everybody jokes about like women loving women relationships like what do what do two lesbians do on a date like they hire a U-haul and move in together and uh, well while, while we were like very aware of that and wanting to slow down especially with children involved um we kind of got put in this pressure cooker of um, in the August that, yeah, we went into this other level four lockdown. Um, and we thought this was, we are like, this is great. We can have a little free trial of like living together and seeing how all that works out. Um, and because we thought it would just be another couple of weeks because we'd had like little lockdowns in between the first big one and we just expected it to be for a, a week or two. Um, no, that went till December
1: so you end up living together for like almost four months with like without the plan in
0: place (laughs) without the plan in place um and and it was really cute because um the boys like they they got to know each other quite well as well so we did 50 50 with their dad and it worked really well and we would we would have the boys for two nights and then he'd have the boys for two nights. Um, And then we would have, we would be at Rebecca's house, my partner's house for two nights. Um, And then they'd go to their dad um, for two nights and then we'd have them at my house for two nights. And then, so they were bouncing between three houses and we were just bouncing between the two. Um, And then we're like, okay, like there is no way when we go back to um, our sense of normality that we can't be living together so you by the by the time the lockdown was over we had all plans about moving in together in the December of that year um so it was, we've pretty much been living together for almost two years now but officially just over a year and a half um and it was really cute because my oldest um he he wasn't that that snuggly or anything with her but my youngest because he was only he'd only just turned three at that time so he was more affectionate and very free and his like giving cuddles and all that sort of stuff with her and we'd had a conversation about like oh yeah jet, jet will get along with you but like he won't he might not break that barrier but within a couple of weeks in lockdown he was like snuggling up to her on the couch and watching movies and we played a lot of board games and stuff so they really built this beautiful relationship um I think I think she's his favorite parent like he calls her the the co-parent um and he he looks a lot more like his dad than he does me but interestingly um because he's got darker hair and darker eyes and so does she so if they were out and about people if even if the four of us were out and about they would think that jet was her son not mine
1: that's so interesting that's really cool to hear how quickly they were able to get comfortable with her cuz I imagine that would have been a big fear of yours is okay well now this new person is coming into their lives and obviously you have chosen to be with this person but they might not be choosing that um from my own experience my parents got a divorce when I was not even a year old so I am very familiar with the co-parenting lifestyle and being at mom's house and then being at dad's house. And I'm also familiar with like when my parents would be dating and um my mom um remarried not once but twice. And so I'm familiar with having that new adult figure in your life. And I would have been a little bit older and had, I guess maybe more of an understanding of well, okay, this is my dad and this is my mom. And the little version of me was like, well, I don't want another dad. So I had a really hard time letting a stepdad come into my life. So it's just really cool to hear to hear your boys um be so comfortable around Rebecca so quickly. And I'm sure the age has a lot to do with it, but I'm also sure her 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 being and her personality and how she is around them has a lot to do with it too. Um what what do they call her now?
0: I just still call her Rebecca. Um, my youngest would call her Rebecca at first. And so I think a lot of people shorten Rebecca to Bex or Becca. Um, and so a lot of your friends call her Bex. I always call her Rebecca. Um, but she she was never Rebecca, oh, she was never Becky. Um, but she would let Franco call her Rebecca. But um no, that, yeah, they still call her, they still call her Rebecca or they'll call her mum by accident. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that develops into anything else. Um, as time goes on. But it's what I love learning about the matrescence um and the seasons of matrescence and who who goes through matrescence. It was really beautiful to actually identify that as a stepmother, she was going through her own season yeah. and her own initiation into matrescence because Rebecca doesn't have children of her own. Um but she has been stepmom before, so she was in another relationship um, with a man who had two children. So she was very familiar with the role. Um, and I think that that is really significant because there can be so much hurt in that when you are the step parent, and if that relationship breaks up, then you also are saying goodbye to those children. So there yeah. is that tension, that push and pull with your heart because I know that that is um that is something that that is with her
1: absolutely they go through their own initiation and then they are also facing this potential of grief if there is a breakup and it's not just losing the relationship with you it's losing the relationship with these kids that that have basically become her own in a sense um yeah, it's it's really interesting when we start uncovering the seasons of matrescence and just the identity shifts and understanding how our sense of identity is not just how we view ourselves, but also how others view us. You talked about how you had desired like a deeper connection with whatever adult relationship you had, but did you also notice that because I've noticed this with myself, like since becoming a mother, my values seem that much stronger and that much more clear. And my voice has gotten louder in the sense that like, I just don't care as much what other people think. And I'm able to actually stand in my unapologetic truth. So I'm imagining that you've experienced some of that too. And that would have made it easier for you to, to shift identities there.
0: Yeah, I think um we are very preoccupied with what other people think and how other people view us. And yeah, there's that sense in motherhood is quite isolating anyway. And then when you are shifting into these different areas, different avenues, um, that kind of break that compact mold. It's not it, you now I look so queer. I dress very queer. I often will have rainbows on me somewhere. And um and I found that there is this part of me that is putting up these walls to be like I am unashamedly who I am. Um and standing strong in that. But then also I I don't know if I'm feeling safe in the world with that. So I will come, I will be quite bristly in situations around my queerness. So I'll be at school pick up and I'll notice that like there are a lot of mums that are all together and they they look the same, they dress the same, they, um, you know, are doing the soccer mum thing. And then there's me who was like wearing dungarees and is like, um, has like half a shaved head and like these mums don't talk to me, and they don't like. I didn't. I didn't feel like included into the fold. Um, and is that because of how I look, or is it because of the energy that I feel and that I'm emitting backwards? It's it's hard to know. Because in every now and then, I'll talk to um, some of the other mums, and it's absolutely fine. Um, right. But there's this there's this um, part inside of me that. Is constantly telling me, "Oh, you're different, and people aren't going to mm-hmm. accept that mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. has been what it has felt like for a really long mm-hmm. time."
1: Yeah. Well, and the the school pickup or school drop off example, um, physically, because you know you look different, and you know that they know you look different. Like it's not it's not something that anybody can argue. Like I know exactly what you're talking about, and like the soccer mom vibe like either you you embody the soccer mom vibe or you don't a previous version of yourself would have wanted to just cover that up and dress yourself in a way so that you physically would fit in and obviously mm-hmm. you're not doing that anymore so
0: yeah i think it's just i just continue to show up and try and be my fullest self um, but it is it is an ongoing process. It is a lot of work because it, I think there is so much uh, self-confidence that I still need to build. And I see that in a lot of mama that I work with as well because all these things shift and change. And, yeah. yeah, there's this part of us that is always seeking and wanting this external validation. But when we unpack that and really look deeper, we are all just looking for some connection. Like we're connection-seeking yeah. beings. Um, yeah. and. Yeah, when, when we let the defenses down, that's when those connections can be made. Um,
1: I love that. It's so true and so applicable, I think, for anyone, no matter what shoes you're in.
0: Exactly. Exactly. We're all, I think, you see these funny things online all the time. It's like, it doesn't matter if you've breastfed, bottle fed your baby, if you um, use disposable nappies or cloth nappies. Like, we've all, um, banged our kids head putting them into the car so you know like we we always make mistakes and (laughs) yeah (laughs) none of us are perfect um and so it's just trying to um I guess recognize that and I think for me it is also um probably taking a lot of my own bias and my own um snobbiness out of it because it's it's kind of like this reverse snobbiness that I that I hold because I come from um, a part in Tamaki Makoto that is um, a lower socioeconomic area. So it's like it's West Auckland or Waitakere that I live in. And because I moved closer to where my kid's dad was, that was on the other like the other side of Auckland. So I've got like a 40-minute commute without traffic to drop my kids at school. <laughs> and um, It's a more affluent area. And so out west, when my kids were at school in Kindy, like it it was the school in Kindy that I went to growing up. Um, And very, um, we have a really large Pacifica population here. So there's a lot of um, Maori and Pacifica. So Samoan, Tongan, like beautiful community here that I'm really comfortable with. I'm white, I'm Pākehā, um, but I'm really comfortable. I know how to operate in those in those rooms and with those people Um, but then moving to this school it is a very white school so I get there and I'm like where are where are all my Pacifica aunties and grandmas and people that I know how to talk to and um, communicate with and there's none of them there and um, so for me there's this shift of like okay so I feel less than as well because I I am not, I don't have the townhouses and the million dollar houses and I don't drive the BMWs and the Kia Sportages that they do here. So I'm already feeling less than, and and that's on me because I'm like, I am I not where I want to be? Like, I'm feeling really shy around what my social standing is in this space because I'm not in the space. And how are they going to feel if they find out that I'm commuting from Henderson, I'm commuting from West Auckland. um, Like, are they going to have a problem with that? Like they don't. Yeah.
1: Right. Like, are they, are they going to see you as a fraud? And yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like, and that's like a totally real and valid fear because Mm -hmm. like you said, we as humans, like we need connection. And so that fear of not belonging basically is disconnection. So of course we're going to seek seek belonging in some way. I really like how you said that reverse um reverse snobbiness and how you're able to actually acknowledge your biases and and recognize that you are also putting these people in boxes, right? Just like they are potentially putting you in boxes, so are you. And I think I think we all do it and it it's Really, like, instead of trying to pretend we don't, it is better to just acknowledge it and be aware of our own biases, and then have compassion for ourselves when we are potentially reacting or making um, judgments with those biases. Like that—that's when—that's when the hurt can come in—is when there's judgments with the biases. But I think it otherwise, like, it's natural to have biases because that comes from our own perspective and our own background and our own experience and all the things.
0: And I think and just I think when we when we can acknowledge where there is bias, if we try to say no, I'm neutral, you're actually you're disconnecting yourself more from not only reality but other people. Because yeah. if we can acknowledge that bias, then it's like addressing the elephant in the room. And
1: yeah, then yeah. you can
0: be open to the conversation rather than holding on to it with dear life without acknowledging that it's there.
1: I totally agree, like this neutrality. And I think a lot of people, for some reason, that's their goal. I think they think neutrality is a way that I won't like step on anyone's toes and I won't hurt anyone's feelings and I won't make anyone feel a certain type of way. And I think the truth is, is we need to step out of that because first of all, we're not responsible for how other people feel. We are only responsible for ourselves. And second, like you said, like actually like acknowledging and showing our biases is how we can connect that's how we can actually like be on the same level with someone and be seen and feel safe and heard and acknowledged and recognized and all the things that we need for that sense of belonging I love that
0: yes I think even even like coming out and my like with my parents um they so I never I didn't feel like it was um Necessary to come out because it's just one of those things. Like, if I don't have to make a big announcement if I'm dating a guy, why should I be making a big announcement if I'm dating a girl? I'm trying, I'm trying this on, I'm seeing if this is what I want or not. Um, so w- with that, I think there was a lot of hurt from their side, but again, not wanting to show anything like trying to be like neutral, but you can feel there is the tension there. Um, and my mum even said to me a year after the fact, she was like, I don't care if you want to turn around and be a lesbian now. And I was like, that is so dismissive because. Well, a, haven't identified as a lesbian. I haven't come out to you and I haven't said that. That is not a term.
1: She's jumping, like jumping to a conclusion already making assumptions.
0: Yeah. And then secondly, like if you actually work um, genuine and authentic in that response, like, Oh, this isn't what I knew about you. This is not what I expected about you let me just reprocess that then that would have been real and we could have had a conversation and then there could have been space and time for that and i could have i could have been allowed to be upset that that hurt you but then then the dust would have settled and then there would be a deeper connection because you know you don't you don't build really strong relationships with people by always agreeing and having a smooth time and being neutral. Like it's that rupture and repair like it breaks, but then it builds back closer and stronger.
1: yeah and we yes.
0: need to, and that's where having being aware of your bias and having honest reactions about things um that having those blow ups and then having us resettle down is um is going to teach all of us how, how, and where it's safe to be in our world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Um, I want to, I want to rewind a bit back to, um, you spoke about, you spoke briefly about your two births, the first being your home birth and the second being an induction. And I have to admit that when you told me that you've had a home birth and an induction, I automatically assumed, and I, yeah, I automatically assumed that, it was the opposite, and you would have had the induction first, and the home birth would have been some sort of redemptive birth. So, I would love to hear um, just quickly, I guess, what that would have been like for you. Cause I can only imagine coming from your first birth and having this um, positive on paper home birth, and then having a vastly different second birth. Like, did that change? your view on birth and your view on mothering and just kind of how all of that interweaves into all of this
0: <laughs> so I was really lucky I, you, we're the same we're like oh what's the birth story give me all the tea I want to hear it um so with my first I was really lucky that I had a colleague um who had also the year before had had a home birth um and had a really positive experience and so I was like oh that's really cool. Um, let me look into that as well. And my the midwife that I chose was somebody who has a um, higher than the national average um, home birth rate, just because that's something that she supports as well. And I had taken the approach that there is nothing wrong with me. I'm not sick, so I don't need to go to hospital. I don't need to go to hospital to um, give birth. And if anything goes wrong, I live um, 10 minutes from the um, hospital here. So that that would be absolutely fine. Um and I had, I did have people telling me, um, you can't have a home birth. It's your first child. You don't know how you're going to re- react and respond. Um, and I don't know where it was in me that this wahine toa, like this warrior woman that was just like, no, like I'll, I'll show you. Like, <laughs> let me show you how I can do it. Um, and, yeah, it was, he was 11 days overdue. Um, I, I didn't need to be induced. I went into spontaneous labor um and and managed to have them at home and it was beautiful it was euphoric you know when people talk about orgasmic birth I was just like who on earth is having an orgasm while they're in that much pain um but I think so I don't think that's the right term to use well not for me but I'll say euphoric birth because there was just this real natural high from all those endorphins and your body doing what it needs to do um and that that connection and love and everything that um, comes after these babies are born too. And just that, oh my God, I did it. I showed them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I did it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something you said, something you said, I just want to pick up again because I really resonated with it. And you said, um, well, with reference to this being your first birth and people saying, well, what do you mean? You can't have a home birth. This is your first. You need to see how like... If your body can even give birth, I have a similar story in the sense that I also had a home birth for my first, well, my only baby. And it was me, my own mind chatter telling myself, well, who do you think you are to be able to have a home birth for your first? You should make sure you can do it first. And I really resonate with what you said about, well, watch me. Like I'm going to like almost wanting to prove to yourself or to others that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a big motivating factor for me as well and I don't know if that's a good thing or not I'm just recognizing that that was definitely a big motivator for me well like well no now I'm almost going to be competitive like my competitive nature was almost coming up and like this this desire to prove someone wrong
0: yeah and I think that that's it too when we when we internalize that I think and here in Aotearoa, we have um, what we call tall poppy syndrome. So anytime anybody sort of sticks out, they um, rise up, um, we chop them down. So so if, yeah, you get this tall poppy syndrome of like, oh, look at me, I can do this. It's a really high pedestal to chop yourself down from. So if we think about what that could do to your postnatal mental health uh, and all those things, yeah. it, it can be really significant. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's actually really interesting you say that because
0: every time I've
1: shared my birth story, it's always like, well, I had this picture perfect birth, but I feel like I almost fell flat on my face postpartum. And it almost makes sense because yeah, I would have put myself on this high pedestal. And then in my mind, I failed even like I didn't like I didn't actually fail looking back like I can see that I wasn't actually failing but to come from such a high and then it wasn't even that I was coming down to a low I was almost just coming back to normal but to just it felt like I was drowning in the natural waves of motherhood and yeah had I maybe not been on such a high and viewed myself as this whatever it was um maybe those waves wouldn't have felt so so drastic
0: yeah yeah because I think um for us I really love the um spiritual side of birth and the liminal space that we are in bringing these babies earth side um and I really experienced that in that birth with my first I have really clear visualizations of um being like visualizing at the beach and I felt like I had this whole spiritual support team behind me um helping me shift and bring this baby into the world because in reality the people in the room weren't there for me they were there to just be part of the birth um his dad was asleep in the corner snoring my sister my sister was there and just really keen to be involved but even afterwards after she's had her um first she was like oh my god I'm so sorry for the way I behaved in that birthing room." my my mum and the midwife were gossiping and it was just like very like surrounded by people but very alone and just transcended into this different space um which which is phenomenally beautiful but then at the same time is also um really disconnecting from like reality um so potentially not that helpful um and but I did love being there and and feeling that and experiencing that and bringing bringing Jet into the world that way, um, and so I was I did plan a second home birth for my youngest. Um, we got Jet all ready. He wanted to cut the cord. He, he was, would have like, been really four at the time excited about it. Um year in Okay, almost four. Yeah, almost. Four. Um, and I think there was a really beautiful age gap and just happened by accident, but um he um yeah at 40 weeks I got diagnosed with preeclampsia and I didn't realize how um how significant that is and how dangerous that is um but the midwife was like no you need to come to hospital um now it was like 9 30 at night I was like what do you mean I have to come to hospital now I'm I'm was hoping I could maybe just go to sleep and go on to labour overnight and just have the baby at home and not have to worry about it. It It's like, no, no, you have to come. Um, And so I think that really just started things in in deep shock. Um, I got the shakes. I started crying. I couldn't say goodbye to Jet because I didn't want to wake him up, um, but I needed to get to hospital. And it was, yeah, a few days of being induced and being monitored there. Uh, And one thing I didn't know about induction um was what i'd heard we'd heard the stories about how when you get induced the contractions can come on a lot stronger and faster um and they were coming on really strong and fast um after they started the oxytocin drip um so that's sometimes called like syntocin or pitocin um, but basically synthetic oxytocin and um I couldn't be in the water, whereas I had the water with um, jets. So I couldn't be in a pool. I had um, the probe on baby's head after they broke my waters so that they were monitoring his heart rate, um, which was yeah. wild to feel that moving against my leg because his head was moving coming down the birth canal. <laughs> Just really, really weird, gross things. Um, and so I was at a point and I was like, oh, these contractions, like I this is familiar to me. Um I'm not at the beach with the support people, but that that I know that the sensation, um, and it's really hard. It is hard, and it is faster, and it is more strong than before. Um, and the midwife was the hospital midwife was like, "Well, you're you're not actually in active labor yet. Like the, the the pattern and the contractions are not active labor. Like go sit on the toilet for five minutes, and then we'll see how dilated you are." Um, and then I was only three to four centimeters dilated. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how is this possible? Um, And at that stage, I think everything just sort of shattered. My my mum was in the room and she was like, oh, well, we're going to be here for a while. So she went and took a break, went for a walk. And then when she was gone, things just ramped up. And I was just like, I can't do this. Um, And I felt really betrayed by my body because I was so confident that I could do this
1: and you had done it before
0: I'd done it before and um all these things but um what what had happened is that I'd gone from three to four centimeters to 10 centimeters in half an hour so it just sped up um he just came down the birth canal like crazy um and All of a sudden, I was pushing. My mum walked back in the room, so she didn't miss it, thankfully. Um, And the midwife was literally like, Don't push. Like, I need to put my gloves on so I can catch this baby. Um, And yeah, he was born like in another push later. Um, Don't push. Like, my body could tell me to stop. Um, And and he was there, and it was beautiful. And I was so stoked to meet him. um, And he was really, really cute and gorgeous. But one of the things, from studying now that I understand and I realize is that when you put synthetic oxytocin into your blood, that can't cross over to the brain barrier. So if, and then your, your brain gets really pissed off with you because you're, it's like, well, if you're going to get oxytocin from somewhere else, then I'm not going to make anything for you. So you're not getting any natural oxytocin on your brain, which then also means that you're not getting any endorphins. So you have zero natural pain relief. So basically, in my head, I was, I thought I was doing everything to avoid like any further intervention. Whereas actually, those interventions would have been really necessary and really kind to myself if I had gotten an, an mm. epidural as soon as they put that drip in. Because, yeah, my body, my body is probably feeling betrayed by my brain because it didn't get any pain relief whatsoever. It just raw dog labor. And, and sitting and we're both sitting there going what happened
1: Um. yeah I love that perspective shift of what actually it would have been really kind to my body if I would have got the epidural Mm. and just this conflict that your body and your brain would have been in and also like your ego right the 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 part of you that was I did this before so why can't I do this again
0: and I think the ego is the big thing because and I know even with the hospital staff, they were all really aware that I had planned a home birth. So maybe there was their own biases there, um, where they were like, well, there's nobody offered me an epidural. And I'm like, as soon as as soon as you were giving somebody that oxytocin drip, I would be I would be very upfront with my bias of, and I say it in my classes when I teach antenatal classes, I'm like, if you're getting oxytocin drip get it and the epidural at the same time like you don't need to don't do that to yourself (laughs) like there is no there is no first prize there is no ego worth um holding that for well and i think
1: it is really important like you pointed out that when synthetic oxytocin pitocin is running through your body that is impacting the hormonal um, cascade drastically. And yeah, that means there's no natural endorphins. That means there's no natural pain reliever that also is impacting the hormones that are going to baby. And so when we're talking about showing compassion to your body, we might also want to consider showing compassion to our baby. Um, that's a whole other story. <laughs> we don't need to get into that right now, but it is just really interesting because our egos can get in the way of wanting um, a certain outcome. And I think that is applicable to birth but also applicable to many other parts of our lives right
0: and that hormonal cascade because we hear of this cascade of intervention which is like this if you don't know anything about it it sounds really big and scary And you're like oh no as soon as I get something like all of a sudden I'm going to have a four sets cesarean delivery like which is not anybody's um probably first first pick um but actually like it's that's not what it is at all um but then yeah if we layer a hormone um and cascade from there then it's just what what are we doing to support the best um parts of ourselves for this
1: yeah yeah I love that approach because I think well from myself coming from kind of the more natural birth world it can be really easy to again put yourself in this box of, oh, well, I want everything natural and I don't even want to, um, like you said, like you weren't even offered the epidural because of the, we can assume the biases of the people in the room thinking, oh, well, she's going to want an as natural as possible birth because she was planning a home birth. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's not always the case. Like I think, I think permission here to pivot (laughs) um, when you need to, and um, yeah, just show yourself compassion and whatever that looks like in the circumstance is really important. So I love that reminder.
0: Honestly, my ego in that time wouldn't have accepted an epidural. Um, so it's probably good it wasn't offered because then you know, I might be feeling certain other ways about it. But I think this is where actually informing, um, informing yourself and, and completely understanding all those things can be really helpful as well. And I, I wonder there isn't enough longitude studies that I've read about around having the synthetic oxytocin and um if there is any correlation to postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. but there it would make sense that there would be some links because of um again, I really bonded with um my son and um like he's just the cutest thing ever. Um but yeah I the the depression for me was a multitude of factors and um when I when I look back now um in hindsight there was probably a lot of signs of postnatal depression in my first um motherhood um journey with Jet that it was a lot easier to hide um and that it just got a lot more compounded i guess adding another child into the mix and then having a very different birth experience um and not the expected outcome from that yeah absolutely do you feel like
1: looking back were your two experiences like in the early postpartum days similar or was the support and um, everything pretty similar for both.
0: It was actually really different and um, interesting. Like with my, with the first, when um, after Jet was born, he was born on a Friday and his dad went back to work on the Sunday. Like he didn't take any time off, he didn't um, do. I don't think he even changed a nappy until Jet was about three or four months old. Like, he was just like, this is what you're doing. I just needed to provide for my family. Um, And he was trying to prove himself a bit more with Franco. But when, yeah, with Jet, I was in a very fortunate position where I had my best friend um, living very Mm. closely to me. And um, so she is, she's my absolute soulmate. Like, she is my person and i love her to bits and pieces and which could sound very strange me now being queer but there's never been any romantic um interest there but it, it's purely platonic but like we just get each other um and so it didn't matter that mark wasn't there because i had anna and anna mm. um was showing up to cuddle my baby she was showing up to cuddle me and get bring me tea and and feed me. Um, but then before before I got pregnant with Franco, she moved to Thailand and has been living there um, for five years now. And it's just been really rude. So, and it was actually Anna on on the, um, we were having a phone call after I called her and I said, I've, I've left Mark, like I've broken up with him, like this is it. Um, and talking to her about stuff on that Mother's Day four years ago. And it was her all the way in Thailand saying something's going on, I think you need to talk to a doctor because it's more than just the stanner. Mm.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Huh. Isn't it
1: interesting how sometimes we do need that outsider's perspective to help us recognize something and reflect something back to us? And I mean, often we might not be in a place to listen, but I think, I think when it comes from, the right person and so in your case she would have been the right person when it comes from that person we're often more available to to listen so it sounds like it's good she said something
0: (laughs) oh yeah it was pretty severe yeah so she saves my life
1: oh I love that um another question I wanted to ask you and you just reminded me of it when you mentioned that your um ex-husband was kind of in the mentality that he just had to provide for his family. I've been dissecting, I guess, like masculine and feminine energy and, um, just kind of realizing that we live in a very masculine culture, right? The, the masculine energy is much more supported than the feminine energy, I would say. And in terms of, um, the typical roles that we see with like a mom and a dad. And it sounds like Mark was under this umbrella too, thinking that, well, as the father, like I just need to provide for my family. And that often looks like financially, I would love to know kind of just your perspective on all this and how this has shifted from going from a male-female relationship to female-female. And so potentially to more like the feminine feminine versus feminine and masculine does that make sense I hope I'm asking yeah. that question correctly
0: no no i I, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean um because I okay. think I really <laughs> when you think about the um the divine feminine and the divine masculine it is very yin and yang so the yin yeah with the female is very slow and it's very connected and it's very um it's more emotions based than it is productivity. Whereas the yang, when we get into this yang energy, it's very much do and produce and um, capitalism (laughs) at its finest. Yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I, I love the divine feminine. um, And I also love the divine masculine. I think I, both those live in me. um, Not quite as symbiotically as I would like um, and it is it's really interesting to see it played out in the contrast of my two those two relationships because I think with my with my comp het, so that compulsory um heteronormativity thing in my mind I was like I've just got to find the most masculine manly man in the world and that's exactly what I did I found the most masculine manly man you have ever met um he like yeah he is just all yang um and he's just do and he like he owns a gym he owns a crossfit he does like the powerlifting the olympic lifting like he's testosterone on on a stick and um that is so the opposite to me i am not i am not crossfit <laughs> i am um and but i try to fit into that um right like real, like really hard really really tried to squeeze myself into that box um and I think with it the um when if I was ever feeling something he would just want to fix it like that is that yang mm-hmm. energy um and there is so much in my 4D experience as a woman that I don't need to fix. I just need to sit and feel. And this really further created a divide in us because on top of having those two very different births, I'd also had two miscarriages. Um, And both those miscarriages, there was no um, sitting in that feeling and having any sort of ceremony or ritual or Um, acknowledgement of that with him, um, because to him that was just too sad. He doesn't want to be sad. He doesn't want to cry. I just want to be happy. That's the emotion I am choosing to be, and that's all I'm going to be. Which is great. That's great for you. That's I can't I can't tell him that that's not the experience he should should have. But for me, that was just 2D. Like there was no depth to that, Um, and. That that really, I guess, shines a light on how we were navigating in the world. I wanted to, um, yeah, have have some process, have some ritual around us, and he just never wanted to talk about it again. Mm.
1: Well, and speaking of boxes, like it sounds like he's really putting himself in that box of "I'm a man, I can't feel anything except." happiness and so anytime any other emotion would come up he's suppressing those emotions and trying to fix them and trying not to feel them and i think socially like that is accepted versus holding space for those emotions and slowing down and having ritual and ceremony around them that isn't as accept- as accepted that's a bit more countercultural
0: yeah and it's all this really countercultural stuff that um when you when you start to unpack it we can see where the patriarchy and where this toxic masculinity is really killing us from the inside out because i think even in that when when you're looking at just that productivity and that drive and that go i mean that's great when you are in a a spring or in a summer season but we can't have summer forever right we can't we you need to go back um I don't, it does doesn't matter how masculine or how much testosterone you've got we we still need we still need to drive and feed that and you're just further you're further removing yourself from humanity and your own humanity when we do that but it is so acceptable all these things that are really culturally acceptable um when it comes to that yang and it comes to that even how you're looking after your body um I think if we, pulled back a lot of that wellness culture and a lot of that gym culture we would see that there are a lot of men that are really struggling um mentally and emotionally and a lot of them have so much dysphoria and so like real bad um like eating disorders and really these strict controls that are not um I, i get in my opinion Um, that are not part of a real human experience
1: yeah because again they are almost being told that they need to be on overdrive and autopilot and continuing to show up a certain way and in this case continue going to the gym and make their bodies look a certain way and be in this do 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 produce 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 get bigger stronger faster mentality yeah scary when you think about it
0: what is socially acceptable to look like what percentage of fat can be in your body and then if anybody's overweight then you're the unhealthy person whereas yeah i mean if you're five kgs overweight you're 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 all right you're you're going to survive you'll get through winter if you're five kgs underweight you your risk of mortality goes extraordinarily up but like we're not having that conversation um yeah on yeah. any platform that is meaningful for yeah, insurance, healthcare, all those things.
1: It's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. So tell me a bit more about, um, yeah, just like the divine feminine mm-hmm. and entering into a relationship with another female and what that kind of looked like, I guess, for you in your own roles, but also yeah just like the perspective on all of that I would just love to hear more about that
0: yeah I'm I guess just in our dynamic it would be very different for probably other women loving women but where we are um we're both very uh, emotionally charged um females emotionally charged wahine um we And I think just the experience of being female, we come with so much trauma and that a lot of that trauma is stored in our body and um, it comes from the society that is around us. And And
1: generations.
0: Generational. Absolutely. Um, And there, it can be, it can be a push and pull with um, sitting down and having like these big, deep and meaningfuls, um, that are just beautiful and we do that quite often we have big deep and meaningfuls we have big cries we hold each other uh and all those beautiful things um but then sometimes we both just need to be in the yang but we just get so caught in this yin and it's like yeah so much energy as well um going through the emotion um but it is probably the safest i've felt in um in myself, that, is allowing me to process a lot of trauma um because my body and my heart my spirit is all feeling quite beautifully held um yeah and it's a good learning for me to then also recognize that in somebody else and that they need to be held because for so long i wasn't there wasn't room for me to hold that for, for them because they mark especially he didn't want to express that right whereas i need to figure out how do how do i have space for my stuff and then also have space for rebecca's stuff and how do we
1: right so when we think of like receiving versus giving like you've had to learn how to balance both Mm -hmm. and be on the receiving end of being held but also be the holder and the Mm -hmm. provider Mm -hmm. um yeah of Of mm
0: the yin of the energy of. Mhm. because otherwise I think for, for her she just becomes superwoman and does everything and holds everything so then she's just stuck being in the yang where it's like no we need a right yeah
1: <laughs> it's all about balance yeah, it's all we, about balance we
0: need, we, yeah, we're trying to pull down these social structures and we are just being in this relationship yeah
1: I love it. Um, I'm mindful of the time. This has been an amazing conversation. We've already touched on so many different threads. (laughs) Is there any final thoughts? Is there any final thoughts you'd like to touch on or quickly say or any other tangents we should quickly go down?
0: (laughs) Uh, I would just probably have to do this another time because (laughs) there's so much. Yeah, absolutely. The tentacles go out and then I think it's all just coming in. I think um my my key takeaways are constantly and even in group environments is just that um that trust and safety it is sharing stories um that are either your own or um you have permission to share and then it, yeah. then really recognizing that bias and once we do that, we build that trust and safety in our connections with other people um. And are aware of that bias, it can be, it opens up so much more space and room for um, genuine connection.
1: Absolutely love that. And that, for me, that's a big part of what this podcast for me is about is having space. For people to share their story because I know how powerful storytelling can be okay before we wrap up um do you want to <laughs> quickly mention uh how people can find you and how people can work with you and just what you're doing in your own corner of the internet
0: yeah so I've got my um I've got Facebook and Instagram is just Boothcraft New Zealand or Boothcraft NZ um and on there, I've got connections to doing online Zooms and some other matrescence connections as well as one-on-one antenatal education. Um, the My current passion is trying to get famous on TikTok. <laughs> um, it's just at Dana Birthcraft NZ. Um, and it's just fun doing a lot of just going on there and popping on doing lives and um, finding different unique ways to deliver information um so always happy for a, a follow share my website um is birthcraft.co.nz um I've started doing some blog posts on there as well just to help me do my verbal diarrhea um and then then make that into a nice little concise post that goes on Instagram or Facebook
1: yeah yeah <laughs> that's what my podcast is for the verbal diarrhea I love it I also love that you said like yeah and I love how you said that TikTok right now is kind of a place for you to, to try different things on for size and maybe have a little bit more fun. And I think that's kind of a theme with this whole conversation is not being scared to try something new on. Cause it can be so easy to just okay, go, put ourselves okay, in that box or for or tell ourselves that we need to be a episode. certain type of way if so that we can stay connected and maintain that sense of belonging and no and like that's just like crushing you you ourselves and it's keeping us small and the story of my review life review is say, no I need to actually like expand and move to my edges and try things on permission to pivot permission to change permission to evolve hearing from you So say hi, DM me on Instagram, and give me a follow at Nicole Pasvere. Until next time.